0: Crime Salad listeners. We're back with another episode of Crime Salad. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Ashley and with me always is Ricky. Hey guys. Today's episode is a bit different. We're going back to the year 2014. It's about an elderly couple who were both in their late 80s who were brutally murdered, leaving their community in absolute shock. This is the Lake Oconee murders. There's something comforting about hearing a crime was solved. Knowing that the bad guy was caught and that justice was served, it keeps us feeling safe and like there's some sort of order in the world. But the murder of Russell and Shirley Dermond, unfortunately, is not one of those cases. There are no answers, there are no suspects, and there is no discernible motive as the sheriff who has been working on this case for the last six years can assure you the particularly gruesome manner of death for this elderly couple and the stark lack of explanations makes this a very haunting case and just to give you a little background of this couple on december 15 1950 shirley wilcox got married to a world war ii veteran named russell dermond The two were both New Jersey natives who relocated to Georgia in the 1980s, so that Russell could manage a chain of hardy restaurants in the Atlanta metropolitan area. He was a hard worker and a successful businessman. And Shirley was a homemaker and raised their four children, a daughter named Leslie, and three sons, Mark, Keith, and Bradley. Over the many years they had together, Russell and Shirley also helped care for their nine grandchildren. They were a picture-perfect family. After Russell's retirement from the food service industry in 1994, the Dermons moved to Eatonton, Georgia, and they built a large home along Lake Oconee in Reynolds Plantation's Great Waters. It's a quiet, private, gated community about 80 miles southeast of Atlanta. This beautiful home was kept very neat, and Russell's success in business afforded them comfort and luxury. The Durmans' home was an important safe place for their kids as well as their grandchildren, who would come to Lake Oconee for summer camp every year to spend time with Russell and Shirley. Russell loved golf, reading, walking, and enjoyed spending time with his friends and family. Shirley loved to do a daily crossword puzzle and was a dedicated gardener and an avid bridge player. Both were active members of the Oconee Community Church, hardly ever missing a service, and they were good friends with other couples in the development, often attending parties. By all accounts, from friends, family, and the community, the Dermons were a very loving, involved, kind, and well-respected couple who lived peacefully and happily at their home on Lake Oconee for two full decades." But in the spring of 2014, Russell, who is now 88 years old, and Shirley, who is 87, are invited to a Kentucky Derby party thrown by a neighboring couple who they're good friends with. Excited, they quickly accept and confirmed with the host that they will in fact be there. But on May 3rd, the day of the party, Russell and Shirley are nowhere to be seen. They never showed up for the party. Considering how active they are in the Eatonton community, not making it to the party without giving any notice was very out of character for the Dermons. Neighbors called the house a few times, but there was no answer. After not hearing from Russell or Shirley over the next few days, on May 6, the neighbors who threw the Kentucky Derby party over the weekend decided to visit the house to check in and make sure everything was alright with their friends. They find the door to be unlocked and enter the large four bedroom, three bathroom house. The neighbors call throughout the house for Shirley and Russell, but there is still no answer. The couple searches going from room to room, seeing nothing out of place or alarming and calling out for the Dermons. When they finally reach the two car garage, they find something truly horrific and immediately call the police. Between the Durman's two cars is Russell Durman, lying on the ground in a pool of blood with his head cleanly cut off and missing. A few of the Durman's own towels had been carefully placed around him under the garage door to prevent his blood from seeping into the driveway, which would have alerted the neighbors immediately. But a sight like this had to have been absolutely shocking to see. The Putnam County sheriff quickly arrives at the Germans' house to lead the investigation after the neighbors make this horrible discovery. Sheriff Howard Sills will soon see this case come to define his 20 year career as sheriff. According to Sills, Russell's head had been removed post mortem, meaning after he was already dead. Sills says that if Russell's head had been removed before his death, there would have been significant blood splattered around the garage from the cut to the throat, but there is none of that in the garage, only a small pool of blood running into those strategically positioned towels. The sheriff's report notes said that Russell had gunshot residue on his collar, which leads the investigators to believe that Russell's death was ultimately caused by a gunshot wound to the head. The perpetrator or perpetrators, as many think, could have removed his head as a forensic countermeasure in this case, taking the bullet with them, which could have helped police identify them. The cuts to remove Russell's head appeared to have been made by a very sharp knife. But the investigators aren't able to find a gun or a knife anywhere on the property that match what could have done this to Russell. The police also find one of Shirley's hairs wrapped around his fingers. They speculate he was attempting to protect her from something or someone. This adds another layer of mystery because Shirley Dermond isn't in the house at all. She's missing. In the house there are no signs of struggle. Nothing is out of place. Everything looks as if the Dermans had started their day like usual. The bed is still unmade and Shirley's unfinished daily crossword puzzle is still left on the counter. The police find no other clues to what could have happened in this house as far as investigators can tell all valuable items including jewelry cash and their expensive cars are all accounted for but where is shirley mrs german's purse cell phone and car keys are still in the house so so investigators are baffled at where she is or what happened to her The police quickly put out a missing persons alert for Shirley to see if anyone in the area knows anything, but they come up with nothing. Because the Dermans lived in a guarded and gated community, Sills and his team go to check to see if the security cameras for the community were able to catch anyone out of the ordinary coming in or out of the neighborhood. But it turns out the video cameras that could have caught someone had all been knocked out by a storm only a few weeks prior and had yet to be repaired. With Russell and Shirley's property being a bit more secluded, no one nearby could testify to seeing, hearing, or noticing anything. Sills was hitting dead ends at every turn.
1: With so little to go off of, Sheriff Sills is considering a wide range of suspects. First, as would be the case where a romantic partner is murdered, Sills considers that perhaps Shirley's involved somehow, and rather than being taken hostage, she's murdered her husband and run away. Sills quickly dismisses this notion given that Russell was decapitated. Though Shirley is relatively healthy for her age, The idea that an 87-year-old woman could cut off the head of another person just seems physically impossible. Seals also looks into and interviews the Dermans' children. Although the Dermans lived a relatively quiet life, they did suffer the tragic death of one of their sons in 2000. Mark Dermans was shot and killed in a drug deal gone bad. The public speculated that Mark's death may have been related to his parents, But Sills was quick to dismiss those claims, too. After interviewing Keith, Brad, and Leslie, the Dermans' three living children, as well as giving them polygraph tests administered by the FBI, Sills comes to the conclusion that they aren't involved in the death of Russell or the kidnapping of Shirley in any way whatsoever. Sheriff Seals offers a substantial reward for anyone with information on Shirley's whereabouts or Russell's death, but no one comes forward. A dive team then searches Lake Oconee right outside of the Dermans' house, but the search is fruitless. After losing their father in such a graphic way, the Dermans' children are beginning to lose hope that their mother is alive somewhere and start to prepare for the worst. In attempts to recreate a timeline for when Russell's death could have occurred, Seals investigates the last days the Dermans were seen. And although it's not until May 6th that Russell's headless body is discovered, Thursday, May 1st, 2014, is the last day that anyone can testify to knowing Russell and Shirley were alive. From what is documented, it seems as they went about their day as usual. According to security video footage from the respective locations, Russell stopped by the bank to transfer some money in the mid-afternoon before stopping by a Publix, a grocery store chain, to pick up a prescription connected to an upcoming cataract surgery for Shirley, some bread and some cucumbers. Later that night, they talk on the phone with their son Brad, having a casual conversation about their day, nothing out of the ordinary. Brad had no idea that this would be the last he would hear from his parents. These final moments don't seem like the movements of people who could have known their lives were in any jeopardy. These are the acts of people who were planning for the future and had no idea what was in store for them. With May 1st being the last time they were seen or heard from, Sheriff Sills puts Russell's time of death somewhere between the late afternoon of May 1st, after the mail was delivered, and the night of May 4th, sometime after the Dermons didn't show up for their neighbor's Kentucky Derby party, since friends confirmed that missing this event was really unusual for them. This leaves almost a three-day window for when this attack could have happened. The case then hits a law, with no new information until ten days later, May 16th, 2014. Two men are out fishing on Lake Oconee, somewhat near the Dermans' house, when they notice something in the water. They find a woman's body, her feet strapped to two cinder blocks wrapped in nylon bags. This is the lifeless, decomposing body of Shirley Durman. And despite having searched the lake earlier, the investigators hadn't looked this far down about five miles out from the Dermans' property. And for Sills, this adds some weight to his theory that there could have been at least two killers involved in these murders, since it would have been far more difficult for one person to move and dispose of Shirley's body by themselves after being seen at all. The medical examination of Mrs. Derman revealed that she had been brutally beaten to death. She had multiple blows to her head with a blunt object seals speculates it could have been a hammer but no weapon was found in the lake house or nearby to confirm this theory shirley's body was clothed there were no signs of sexual assault and unlike russell who was found in his slippers and robe shirley was dressed and she appeared to have gotten ready for the day or maybe she never got ready for bed yet when she was taken and killed The investigators also searched the area around where Shirley was found to see if the killers decided to dispose of Russell's head there as well, but they came up with absolutely nothing. With Shirley's body found so far from home, we're left wondering, why try and hide Shirley but leave Russell in the garage? Some have speculated that this must have made Shirley the real target of this attack saying that perhaps someone wanted to hold a ransom for money, but with so little evidence, it's difficult to know for sure.
0: With two dead bodies, a missing head, and no strong leads, Sheriff Sills continues to work with the FBI and other local law enforcement on the case. According to the FBI's BAU and Sheriff Sills investigation, we can make solid guesses on a few things about who might have done these truly horrible things to Russell and Shirley. First, as we mentioned before, most likely this was done by more than one person because at least Shirley's body and potentially even Russell's were moved and it seems unlikely that a singular person could execute such a crime without being seen. In addition, according to former FBI profiler Clint Van Zant, there is a good reason to believe that these killers are seasoned criminals, not necessarily reckless teenagers, as some have speculated. His reasoning has to do with Russell's decapitation. The gruesome nature of this act, and because it's just so uncommon, doesn't seem like something someone with no previous history of violence could do, especially without leaving any evidence behind. The profile also suggests that the investigations should be looking for a male suspect who probably likes guns and knives. But for Sheriff Sills, this isn't a lot to go off of, especially in a small Georgia town. For Sills, the profile is just too generic, especially when there are no other clues to go on. Another primary theory held by Sheriff Sills is that this killer or killers came by boat. The Dermond property backs up to Lake Oconee and is mostly protected by wooded areas on either side, meaning that someone could have quietly boated up to the house without getting any attention from the guards or having to work around the gate at the entrance of the neighborhood. One thing that strikes us and some other investigators as a bit weird is Sheriff Sills' adamant refusal to work with Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the more local FBI in that area. With such a high profile and truly confusing case, you would think that Sills would want to exhaust every resource The GBI is typically the first people that local law enforcement would turn to in cases like this, since their resources and crime lab are more equipped to process evidence and investigate. Instead, Sills went right to the federal level and has asked even international law enforcement agencies for help, rather than turning to the agency located only 70 miles from his office. The sheriff reported having repeated cases early in his career where there was political involvement with the GBI. He described it as a litmus test that he doesn't want to be around. Sills also accused the GBI of telling people to destroy evidence in investigations that he has been involved in, though the GBI refused to comment or confirm this. And we don't bring this up to accuse or taint the hard work done by Sheriff Sills in investigating this case, but to consider if valuable evidence or analysis might be missed by his refusal to work with an agency that has a much more intimate knowledge of this local area and their community. With such a heartbreaking case, wouldn't you want to exhaust every resource possible, even ones you might have personal grievances with? The telephone tip line set up by the FBI and the sheriff's office has brought about little evidence as well, being filled largely with conspiracy theories. Sills remembers one caller who was convinced that these murders were affiliated with Al-Qaeda or some sort of radical Islamic terrorist organization. Others have speculated that because of the removal of Russell's head, This is the work of some sort of satanic cult, or, due to the cleanliness of the crime scene, perhaps professional hitmen were to blame. Some even believe that this case was designed specifically for Sheriff Sills, created by religious zealots who want to embarrass him for a role he played in arresting and convicting Dwight York a decade earlier. Dwight York was the leader of a Nuwabian nation, a black Muslim religious group that was relocated near Edenton in the early 2000s. Of course, as often is with frustrating though compelling cold cases such as this one, these claims are currently unable to be proven and are mere speculation by a community desperate for answers sheriff sill's personal strongest theory on why these murders occurred was that it was a botched robbery extortion in edenton the germans were an extremely well-off family firmly in the upper class Sills assumes that on the night of their deaths, the Dermans were killed for being unable to provide their killers whatever cash or valuables had been demanded. It's possible that the Dermans were simply targeted at random because of their age and obvious wealth, looking like an easy target. Maybe there was something in particular the killers were searching for that they just couldn't find. Ultimately, Nothing was noted to be out of place, so it's unclear if valuables or money may have motivated the killers. Since Russell and Shirley's death, there have only been two potential suspects that seem to have held any weight with the sheriff's office. First, Sills and investigators look into another case in New York in 2005 that had some striking similarities to the Dermons. An 83-year-old woman named Lois Colley was found beaten to death in her laundry room in North Salem. Lois' husband, Eugene Colley, was also a fast food franchise owner worth $100 million. And the murder weapon in that case was thought to be a fire extinguisher missing from the house. The only connection between the two deaths investigators could come up with was the link involving their son. So what's strange is Mark, Shirley and Russell's son, was arrested in the 80s, about 50 miles from the site of Lois's killing. Despite the coincidental similarities, Sills was doubtful about any true connection between these murders. In 2016, a former employee of the Collie's with clear motive was arrested and pleaded guilty to the murders of Mrs. Colley, officially debunking any relationship the police thought he might have had to the Dermans case. A year after Russell and Shirley's murder, a second suspect arose when a man was seen standing on their lawn late at night sheriff sills refused to reveal any details about the man or how he was being investigated but can confirm that an eyewitness was able to place him there since then nothing has been shared public about who this man was or what reason he had to be on the Durmans' property but with so little evidence even such small moments like this can become of major consequence Since Shirley's body was found, there have only ever been more questions than answers. Investigators have interviewed the family members, neighbors, and anyone involved in the community who could have possibly been connected to the Dermons and have some information. To this day, Russell's head has never been found, and there have been essentially no new, verifiable leads in this case. To many, the most elusive question is, Why? What motive could someone have to kill this couple, especially in such a brutal way? Sheriff Sills continues to look for new leads in the case and admits that he continues to be haunted by this case every day for the last six years. He, along with much of the Edenton community, is hopeful that he will be able to solve this case soon. Sills continues to work with the FBI to utilize new technology and revisit old crime scene photos, investigating every possible lead as fully as he can. The exact nature of this new technique is not being discussed publicly at this time, but we are hopeful to any lead which might have helped shed some light on this mystery. And this may be a long shot, but if you happen to know anyone with information that could help give this still grieving family peace and could lead to justice being served for Russell and Shirley Dermon, we ask that you call the Putnam County Sheriff's Office at 706-485-8557. And even though this case seems to have gone cold... We're hoping that this episode brings awareness to the German story, and you never know. If the right person hears the story, things could resurface, and this case could finally be solved. Thanks for listening to Crime Salad. Please share, subscribe, and send us supporting reviews. We'll see you next time.
1: Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain.